Hello fellow Freedom Likers, welcome to Illegally Drunk Tales from the Hill, a series in which we break down the craziest stories in political history you've never heard of. Jakey Bird is joined by the greatest concert pianist in a three-block radius, Louis Donowski. Although I guess you don't live in a three-block radius anymore, so that's a little bit of an outdated intro. Uh, I mean, I have a three-block radius, and I could be the best concert pianist in that three-block radius, just not in Milburn. I guess the intro still stands then. And I'll take the title unless someone within the three blocks surrounding uh, Ogden Avenue and Franklin Street, I guess it's called, in Jersey City, wants to fight me. Also joining us today, the guy who holds the record for fewest movies seen and still obtained a film major, Corey Pressel. <laughs> I am back. It is my third time, and I'm very excited. And that does stand true. You are correct, Jake. I am the worst film major. Well, I didn't say worst. Well, I, I, character my, I, I characterize myself as worst, uh, given that I was a film major who doesn't really like to watch movies. Well, luckily, you won't have needed to see any movies to understand today's topic. Gentlemen, what do you know about Africa? It's a continent with 54 countries. Whoa, I didn't even know that number. I, now Damn. I have to look that up. Now I have to look that up because I would be really sad if I'm wrong. You said it so confidently, it has to be right. 54! I was right. I was right. On that note, uh, the, the continent of Africa has inspired my least favorite Christmas song on earth, which is the Band-Aid Relief for Africa song, which if anyone ever <laughs> listens to the lyrics of that song... It is so unbelievably horrible toward the continent of Africa. Such lyrics as, where nothing ever grows, no rain or rivers flow, do they know it's Christmas time at all? Real lyrics to one of the most popular Christmas songs that play in the United States on the regular. Yeah, so the older I got, the more paternalistic I realized that song was, and I also got sick of it. It's always a double whammy for me when things are racist, but really stupid at the same time. Like, there are famously rivers and monsoons in Africa. I mean, it's, the, it's got the longest river in the fucking world, right? I think the Nile's longer than the Amazon. Only river that flows uh, south to north, I believe. Yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I bring up Africa, because today we're talking about the time America tried to colonize Africa. Our story begins the same way any good story about Africa does, with a group of white men in the 19th century. I have a question. I have a question. Did, uh, did Tarzan take place in Africa or was that South America? Definitely Africa. Okay, so that's the mindset I'm going into because I know that that took place right around the turn of the 20th century. So now I'm fully thinking about Tarzan as you continue with the rest of your story, Jake. Well, we begin not with the guerrilla research team, but with the American Colonization Society, founded in 1816 with one simple premise. What do we do about all these free black men just running around? You see, abolition was starting to pick up traction, and free blacks were becoming an increasingly common occurrence. The ACS came up with a brilliant plan. Hey, we took these people from Africa, why don't we just send them back? The idea, while well, laughable to us today, gained some serious mainstream academic traction in 1816. 
Prominent politicians like Henry Clay and Daniel Webster supported the group, as did Thomas Jefferson and James Madison. This was also not a new idea, as the British had actually done this already, but more on that later. Madison was eventually able to secure public funding for the group while he was president, and in 1818, they sent representatives to Africa in an effort to find suitable land to purchase and set up a colony. Unsurprisingly, the local tribal leaders in Africa were like, um, no. And this mission was a complete failure. So it's interesting for me to think that wanting to send freed slaves back to Africa was considered the liberal position at the time. Historically, we tend to think of abolitionists as people who wanted to not only abolish slavery, but supported integration and equality of the races as well, which wasn't really the case, or at least it took time for that to happen. Abolition really just meant that you wanted to end slavery. It really didn't imply that you believed in equality. I'm sure they thought that Jim Crow was okay, most of them. Oh, yeah. And I mean, there, there is, uh, I don't think like Lincoln was any like, like racial equality warrior. No. And in fact, we're actually going to get Lincoln's take at the end of this. And, and what I think is interesting about, about Lincoln, and I was actually reminded of this. I'm going to plug our state, our governor, our boy, Phil Murphy. Um, but I'm also going to plug the United States Congress for making Juneteenth a national holiday. Um, I discovered this at a Juneteenth event that part of the, and we probably covered it in U.S. history, but part of the motivation for Lincoln uh, freeing the slaves was to get Union soldiers. <laughs> oh, exactly. And to generally weaken the Southern war effort. Yeah. I mean, it was not, um, it was not from a racial kumbaya perspective. More broadly, what do you guys think of this whole colony scheme so far? Uh, I'm giving, I'm giving very, I'm giving, well, it seems just very harebrained. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really was. I mean, isn't it nuts to think that back then, if you were white, especially, you could just go somewhere else in the world and say, I'm going to start my own country. Yeah, it's like, it's like they, it's like Pretoria. But what I think is, what I, what I think is crazy about it is that Stuff like this was tried in a lot of different ways to varying degrees of success. It often just became a matter of like how much brute force you were willing to use, I feel like. I mean, that's kind of how we colonized. That's what it was, North America. Though that was sort of like an accident that built upon itself, but it was still a plan to, well, if you found people from another society, you would just bulldoze over them. Well, let's see how this noble experiment turns out. The ever-persistent ACS would try again, and in 1820, they sent a new delegation, this time with about 100 men, including 90 black settlers. They settled on Sherbo Island, on the west coast of Africa, and for a time, things went smoothly. Sherbo Island is off the coast of Sierra Leone, a British colony which was settled by a few thousand freed slaves. You see, during the Revolutionary War, Britain promised freedom to any slaves that fought for them, and those who did were sent to live eventually in Sierra Leone. A contingent of these people lived on Sherbo Island, who welcomed the new arrivals with open arms. However, Sherbo Island would fall apart. What do you guys think happened? Rebellion. 
Not a bad guess, but no. Well, you had a bunch of folks from America coming over, if I'm understanding this correctly, and I'm sure, uh, as is the history of many, uh, how do I say this delicately, white power-obsessed men, I Uh, feel like things uh, were not super smooth when, when they came over. Well, I certainly can't fault you guys for thinking that way. The answer is actually a lot more simple. They all fucking died of malaria. I was literally going to say, was it like dysentery? <laughs> so here, here's, what's, here's what's funny is uh, because we're talking about this from a 21st century perspective, some of the most obvious things we take for granted, like, oh, maybe there'd be like a, a, a freed, freed slaves rebellion, or maybe it would be like a fight with the British or the Americans and it was some political thing. No. You just you died of malaria back then, and As like in a lot of countries. Now. Well, I mean, if if it goes untreated, but like in you know Africa, yeah, if you don't have access to to good medical care, you'll die of it. But it's this, it's the sort of thing like even uh, simple diseases like the flu or something. You die or uh, or like um, COVID nineteen might have killed like a billion people back then. Yeah, COVID nineteen probably would have like annihilated the planet. Oh man. Yeah, I mean just think of disease. I mean that that killed a lot of people back in the day. Way more than it does today. Well, let's towel off real quick. Here's Corey with the read. Have you ever thought about starting a podcast but were unsure about where to begin? Buzzsprout makes starting a professional sounding podcast simple and affordable. With Buzzsprout, all it takes is some equipment you probably already have and a quiet place to begin your podcasting journey. Whether you're a complete beginner or ready to step things up a notch, Buzzsprout has a membership plan for every level of content creator. We here at Legally Drunk are one of 100,000 satisfied customers, and we use Buzzsprout because they make it easy to get your show listed on major networks and streaming services like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Being data-oriented people ourselves, we also love their analytical approach, providing content creators with detailed statistics about their show's performance. So take it from us, the only way to create a great podcast is to start, and Buzzsprout makes getting started easy. To make their already great deals even better, they're offering Legally Drunk listeners a $20 Amazon gift card when signing up for a paid membership using the link in the description, and you help support our show at the same time. Buzzsprout, the easiest way to start a podcast. Now back to Jake. So the ACS viewed the Sherbo Island plan, despite its failure, as somewhat of a proof of concept. And the duty to find a new suitable location would be on the shoulders of naval captain Robert Stockton, who in 1821 would find a nearby piece of land that was suitable. He and the local chieftain would engage in aggressive negotiations and they were convinced to sell. The settlers from Sherbo would relocate to here, and many more freed blacks would join them. This time, however, they were not welcomed, and for the next three years, they would be besieged by local tribal attacks on a regular basis. In 1824, they would set up a series of strong fortifications to defend themselves, and this new city would be named Monrovia, after President 
James Monroe, who had secured funding for the colony. Individual American states would purchase land next to Monrovia and send their free blacks there as well. And sporting a population of 20,000, the new Republic of Liberia was born. The new Liberian people maintained an African-American culture. They were all Protestant, they spoke English, and they would not integrate with the local African tribes. Today, almost 10% of modern Liberians are descendants of these settlers. It's actually nuts to me that the capital of Liberia is Monrovia, and they still refer to it as Monrovia. See, I didn't realize, though, because I've seen that on maps before, and I didn't realize it was named after President Monroe. I wonder if there's any sort of movement in Liberia now to change the name of Monrovia. Because again, only 10% of Liberians are descendant from these settlers. And isn't it also interesting how you have Africans descendant from African Americans? Well, it's like, a, it's like, a, it, it feels like a bit of, uh, it feels like a little bit of reverse engineering. <laughs> Uh, that's not the right word, but it's like you, you, you sent them one place and they built a culture there and then you sent them back to where they came from. And it, they're basically the same people. They just were like indoctrinated by American culture. Which they actually maintain. Right. Which I also find interesting. It's like they, did they willfully identify at, as Americans? Well, I think the thing is you have... Most of these people who weren't born in Africa, they were born in America. So you have either first, second, maybe even third generation Africans. I would have to do the math on that. But people who were born in America and lived there for generations now. You, you have African-American Africans would be the word. Now, just a foundational question, just so I understand. What states were sending their freed slaves and in what numbers? Because this is just crazy to me. And I love this because I never know what you're talking about anytime you do one of these <laughs> Tales of the Hill. And this seems like a really big thing that I feel like I should know, which I feel like I feel every single time you talk about one of these things. So what, what was the context of the actual numbers and the scope? Well, it was primarily northern states, but I think you get an assortment of individuals from all over the country because... You have to remember, even though this was partially publicly funded, this wasn't really done in the public eye. The means of actually uh, emigrating from the United States was provided by the ACS, which was a private corporation or a private group, rather. I don't think corporations existed yet. It's worth mentioning that this was kind of done, I guess, somewhat outside the public sphere because... Politicians on both sides of the aisle at the time went to great lengths to avoid talking about slavery. They, we really just kept pushing and pushing and pushing the issue because it was that toxic of a topic to bring up at the time. And you have politicians kind of walking on eggshells in essence, additionally, because the belief system associated with abolition was very, very rapidly evolving. And the academic discourse surrounding it was constantly changing. It hadn't really taken uh, shape. And to answer your other question in terms of numbers, 20,000, I think, is exactly what it sounds like. It's not an insignificant number of people, but in terms of the number of slaves in the United States at the time, it was really a, a pittance. But that being said, now the United States has gone ahead and created this country. What do you guys think, if anything 
are our obligations to its survival? Um, well, you would um, make it a state and fund it with taxpayer dollars and start building infrastructure there and then give people uh, public services like warning water and uh, perhaps uh, uh, some investment. But I feel like that's a lot to ask for a bunch of white racists in the 1800s. Yeah, I mean, while you were talking, I was thinking to myself, what percentage of that do you think they actually did? <laughs> Isn't this also well? About we're the still time? waiting to we're still waiting to truly do that with Puerto Rico. <laughs> I was also thinking that we don't even do it with Puerto Rico, <laughs> and we should. It's absurd. It's so stupid. Isn't Isn't this also around the time that? Our seventh president, Andrew Jackson, is is coming into power, possibly his political reign. Am I going somewhere with this? Well, it's not a bad train of thought, Corey. It's more emblematic. Jackson, rather, is more emblematic, I think, of that movement I was talking about earlier of politicians who were content to just kind of ignore slavery. Let's get people all riled up about Native Americans, and that way we can ignore the important social, moral, and economic questions we face in regards to slavery. The United States, to their credit, never established a mercantile system, supporting Liberia financially instead of the other way around. As a matter of fact, the U.S. wanted Liberia to move towards self-sufficiency. Economically, however, Liberia was being bullied by the stronger British and French colonies that surrounded it. With the U.S. doing little to help, Liberia declared its independence from the ACS and the United States in 1847, establishing their own diplomatic relationships. Despite protests from English traders, Parliament readily accepted the new nation and recognized its independence. The U.S., however, fearing the implications such an action would have on slavery, refused to recognize Liberia as a legitimate nation. So recognizing Liberian independence became somewhat of a, I guess you'd call it a hot-button issue almost, and for the next few years, politicians would teeter around yay or nay on this. I guess it was considered somewhat offensive to southern slave owners to recognize that there's a free black republic out there in the world. From the Republicans' perspective, I think it was considered almost morally grandstanding to recognize Liberia. They didn't see much benefit to it, and even though it might be the right thing to do, they felt it could only really hurt them politically. Right. Interesting. The mass exodus of blacks from the U.S. to Liberia, however, never happened. This was because the academic discourse would begin to shift around the 1830s. The idea of abolition and integration was becoming much more mainstream, and others had practical objections to the notion of shipping such a massive amount of people across the Atlantic. Still, the notion of African Americans ever becoming equals was still a left-wing Republican idea, with center-left politicians, including Abraham Lincoln, supporting the notion of moving freed slaves to Liberia. <laughs> Left-wing Republican. Yeah, you don't hear that often nowadays. Well, at the time, I mean, they were the mainstream left-wing party. Whether said left-wing Republican Lincoln believed this for moral reasons 
or political reasons is unclear, as it was of the highest importance for the Republican Party to appear moderate and not radical as the Democrats were trying to paint them. Remember, mm. the Republican Party had not yet achieved mainstream success. The party wouldn't see mainstream success until Lincoln's second term. Even when he was first elected in 1860, you could argue he was not mainstream. Well, look at Democrats trying to paint Republicans as radical again, except this time for the wrong reasons. <laughs> but wait, but wait, really, what, what's happening is the conservative party uh, going out of its way to paint the more liberal party as the radical kooks. Well, it just goes to show that that's a tale as old as time. Remember, Lincoln had won the presidency with less than 40% of the popular vote. However, regardless of rationale, in 1862, Lincoln would instruct the U.S. to officially recognize Liberia. The two nations would remain strong diplomatic partners for the next hundred plus years until President Bush, the first, would cut them off in 1990 during the first of two Liberian civil wars. So ironically, we were friends with them from our civil war until their civil war. What was the what was the what was the rationale for uh, for Bush cutting ties? Uh, it, they, it was like a military coup, from what I understood that overthrew their government and he didn't i i think we just didn't recognize the new government as legitimate oh okay yeah okay that that's 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 defensible and that my friends is the story of how the united states set up a colony in africa and it's still a country i know and it's, it's capital still is still called monrovia <laughs> it wasn't like something that that fell with like with in shambles and it's like a footnote it's just like the united states now it became its own its own sovereign state and like yeah the fact that it never petered out is is impressive to me i mean that's remarkable so is that the farthest east america quote colonized and and did we have any more well the earth the earth the Earth is a circle, right? Okay. So I think yes, but east of well, isn't the is the Philippines not considered the east? Like, is it considered? See. Yeah, and like I'm because Japan's Guam the east too. Yeah. Or... Okay. Ignore my question. But, but no, no. But I get I get your point. It's like the furthest east of the United States, I guess you could say. I I think that's accurate. It's the only thing in that part of the world, the Europe area, the Africa area. As far as I know, but good question. Wow. Monrovia is one of two, just two capitals to be named after a U.S. president. Of course, the first being Washington, Washington D.C. But there's no other capital anywhere else in the world not named after a U.S. president, which like maybe is like, well, duh. But considering how many countries were under the influence of the United States, I'm actually a little bit surprised. Like no puppet states took a capital named after a president, like even remotely. Like I'm. Well, I think we colonized fairly late into the game. Like the Philippines was kind of already a country when we colonized. Right, right. 
to me, that's a really interesting story. And I think it's one that more people should know. Uh, to me, it, it kind of encapsulates the evolution, I guess, of the abolitionist movement. And I think putting the abolitionist movement into context historically is really important because I think we tend to, when we learn about the Civil War, at least especially in the North, we tend to kind of look at the abolitionist movement with the narrative of they're the good guys, which they, you know, are in fairness. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they're, they don't fit neatly within a narrative. The academic discourse behind the abolitionist movement was more, we think slavery is a moral wrong. We don't think racism is a moral wrong. We still think it's okay for whites to be superior to blacks. Which is like such a bizarre cognitive dissonance. To us it is. I, I wonder how they justified it. I mean, you had pseudosciences like phrenology at the time. And yeah, but the look, thing is, the, I, I the, inevit- us- the inevitability is the inevitability of, and look, I'm going to, we'll look at this from a 21st century perspective. Fine. But the inevitability in all of that is it comes back to subjugation in some degree. So you could be like, well, slavery is a moral wrong, but black people can't be, they're not equal standing people you get phrenology then you get stuff like eugenics then you get stuff like the holocaust and then you 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 circle back into these people are not equal therefore they're not human therefore we should get rid of them or we should subjugate them so it like as long as you're believing that certain people don't have an entitlement to be on the same class of citizens as everyone I feel like inevitably the political winds will swing in such a way that you're going to fall back into something horrifically oppressive. I think you make a good point, but I I don't believe that's, I mean, and this might be a little obvious. I don't think that's the way they viewed it at all. I don't think they viewed themselves as subjugating uh, African-Americans on any level. I think the average white person didn't believe that integration was something that was possible. I think separate but equal was a very common belief and segregation was a very common belief. And I think the average white person ultimately looked at African-Americans and said, and looked at white people and said, look, white people have, all have at least some level of education. At this point, the vast majority of white people are literate. African-Americans didn't have those basic literacy skills. They didn't have that basic education. It's very easy, I think, to view people as inferior. I think it's almost inevitable that you view those people as inferior. Hmm. Which which totally throws into throws into question the separate but equal, which obviously was not. But I understand what you're saying. Well, I'm glad that this discussion got people thinking. And that is always the goal of Tales from the Hill. So thank you, the audience. Great job as always. Thank you, Lou. Great job as always. Thank you, Corey. Keep it up. You're doing great. 
Thank you, Jake. As always. Great job as always. And until next time, we're out. We're out.